Hi guys, my name is Allie, and welcome to the second episode of my podcast, Nose in a Book. Thank you for joining me for the second episode. Um, Just a disclaimer, I realized that my previous episode was um, probably a little (laughs) non-energized. I did record it as a bit of an experiment at one o'clock in the morning, Um, but I'm recording at uh, a much more reasonable time of night, so I have a little more energy today. Uh, And I am excited, very, very excited to talk about this podcast's pick. The book that I'll be discussing today is called The Narrow Road to the Deep North by Richard Flanagan. And if any of you know me in real life, you'll know that this is one of my all-time favorite books. I do recommend it to people all the time. It's one of my staff picks at work. Um, I am constantly telling people to read it. It's one of the best fiction books I've read to date. It did win the Man Booker Prize for 2014, which is a very prestigious literary prize. And I'm very excited to discuss it. So it did come out in 2014 um, and won the Man Booker Prize for that year. And I will read you guys the inside front cover synopsis here. August 1943. In the despair of a Japanese POW camp on the Thai-Burma Death Railway, Australian surgeon Dorigo Evans is haunted by his affair with his uncle's young wife two years earlier. His life is a daily struggle to save the men under his command from starvation, from cholera, from pitiless beatings, until he receives a letter that will change him forever. Moving deftly from the POW camp to contemporary Australia, from the experiences of Dorigo and his comrades to those of the Japanese guards, This savagely beautiful novel tells a story of love, death, and family, exploring the many forms of good and evil, war and truth, guilt, and transcendence, as one man comes of age and prospers, only to discover all that he has lost. So, unfortunately, this book is not for everybody. Um, It is a bit of a difficult fiction read. Um, I personally enjoyed it very, very much. Um, I found that the way Richard Flanagan writes in this novel is intelligent without being wallowing. Um, His prose is really, really lovely. His sentence structure is very easy to follow, I found. You really get involved, like deeply involved in the characters' lives right off the bat. He has a really great way of painting the scenes so that you can see them so easily and clearly in your mind. Um, The smallest details kind of take precedence, and it's really a book of feelings. He does a really good job of whenever he's talking about, or whenever he's talking from the point of view of certain characters, he really goes in depth into what they're feeling Um, based on their surroundings and their situation and the people that they're with and you are so able to get inside their heads and know the characters so intimately that you really feel um, you really it's a really out-of-body experience which I really really enjoy in my books I have um, a way of describing what happens when I read a really good book which is that I fall in Um, and don't really respond to people talking to me or trying to get my attention or anything that's going on around me. I really kind of just fall inside the book and the characters in the storyline, and um, it takes a lot to distract me when I'm 
when I'm really into a book. And this is one that I, every single time I pick it up and just flip to a page, I just fall right in. It's so, it's so lovely. Um, so the main character, Jerego Evans, uh, is Australian. He's actually born and uh, lives the first part of his life in Tasmania. Uh, he has older brothers who have gone to the previous wars. He's born in 1915. Um, so the war that he goes to, I believe... Oh, God, I think I'm going to get this wrong. Yeah, it is the Second World War. Um, so and he is in a POW camp run by the Japanese. Um, so he's in an enemy camp. He's a surgeon and the leader of his uh, section of the army. I have no idea what the terminology is for that. I do not remember. Um, but he is the commander, and he's basically the commander and doctor, and he is trying to keep as many people alive as possible, which is incredibly difficult because, like the synopsis said, it is on the Thai-Burma Death Railway. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a railway that the Japanese had an agreement to build using POW labor. Um, it was a huge, incredibly long railway that was through a very dense jungle. It was incredibly difficult to build, and the Japanese were basically just told to work the soldiers, the enemy soldiers, to death because they'll get more. So, obviously, the main section of the novel is pretty brutal, uh, pretty honest, because you're in a POW camp, everyone's dying, everyone's sick and diseased and exhausted, they have no food, they have very uh, limited water, Dorigo's basically just trying to keep as many people as alive, as he, alive as he can, but even when he's performing surgery, it doesn't always work, because he doesn't always have the proper tools um, or implements to clean the tools that he has. Um, and there is a section in the novel where things get pretty, uh, pretty R-rated when it comes to, um, surgery. I did get, <laughs> I did get kind of nauseous. But the nice thing is that it doesn't all take place in the camp, so that's not the entire thing. It's not a whole novel of just horror and brutality. Um, it does jump back and forth in time, so Dorigo's childhood, growing up before the war, and then a fair amount of the novel is actually him after the war because he obviously does become um, a hero for trying to save as many men as he can because he thought it was the right thing to do. Um, so there are some years later on where he's having affairs, love affairs with other women. Um, he marries, he has kids. Um, I don't believe he stays with his first wife. I believe he um, marries again or has another lover. And um, you see him when he's in his old age later on as well, really discussing mortality and the idea of whether men are inherently good or evil. And I say men as in humans. Um, and the funny thing about this novel that I really enjoyed is that you know you never really know if Dorigo is a good or a bad character. You see his entire life basically laid out before you, all of his decisions, his good and bad decisions, the decisions that he made that affected other people, that didn't affect other people and only himself, and you're still not 100% sure if he's a, a good character it brings up so many questions of what the meaning of good and evil is in the world 
without really being pretentious or overly religious, which um, I appreciated because I don't really subscribe to any single religion, personally. Um, and it was very... So it was very non-preachy, but it did have a good discussion of life after life, um, your effect on the universe at large. And uh, I, I gotta say, I enjoyed every single second of this book. Something mixed in very nicely, um, I will say, is there's a lot of poetry. He, Dorigo is um, a big fan of Japanese poetry. He's a big fan of uh, haiku. And um, interspersed with the storyline is uh, little lines of poetry, um, which I feel like just gave the book such a beautiful and bittersweet tone. The very first line of the book is a quote from Paul Seelan, which is, Mother, they write poems. And there's one section of the novel uh, in the first 30 pages where um, he, Dorigo is um, looking at a book about an 18th century haiku poet named Shisui. And uh, his followers had been asking and asking him for a death poem. And he basically, as he was on his deathbed, he grabbed a paintbrush and painted a circle. And this is the, this is the quote here from the book. Shisui's poem rolled through Dorigo Evans' subconscious, a contained void, an endless mystery, lengthless breadth, the great wheel, eternal return, the circle, antithesis of the line. The oboe left in the mouth of the dead to pay the ferryman. I mean, so you can tell just from that passage that the the uh, writing in here is just lyrically beautiful. I found it was incredibly, incredibly enjoyable. Even when, even when he's talking about horrible, disgusting, terrifying things, it's still very, very encapsulating. You still feel pulled in. You always want to know what is happening next. It was, yeah, it was, I never wanted to stop. I never wanted to attend. So as uh, I mentioned earlier, he does um, have an affair with his uncle's wife. Um, but then in comparison, he saves hundreds of lives in the POW camp. He does absolutely everything he can to save every life that he can, no matter how badly off any of his men are. He sacrifices um, his own food and water. Occasionally he sacrifices his time and his sleep for his men because he understands that that is what a commander should do. So that coupled with the fact that he betrayed his family, um, it's a really interesting dichotomy between what someone considers to be good and what someone considers to be evil. Because obviously a family betrayal is considered to be evil and saving men, saving other men's lives is considered to be good. But the real questions that come up in this novel is, isn't it good that Dorigo loved who he loved so wholeheartedly and she loved him in return? Wasn't that putting something beautiful out into the world that other people could appreciate, wasn't it 
beautiful that they were happy together for the little amount of time that they had? Wasn't it transcendent for them to experience that kind of love? Wasn't it a positive experience for both of them to have, have had that in their life and taken that forward and passed that on to other people and possibly their children? And in comparison, the lives that he saved in the POW camp, he struggles a lot with wanting to do it. He sacrifices because he knows that it is the right thing to do, but he does not necessarily feel the want to give to these men. And so a lot of the discussion in the POW is him feeling guilty, obviously watching people die when he's powerless to do something because he feels like if he sacrifices one man, it will be for the good of more men. And then other times he takes little things for himself because he feels like that he feels like that's what he needs to do to stay alive and stay sane. And the entire time he's just really questioning what he wants. And so when he's later rewarded as a war hero, he does not feel deserving. He feels very guilty that he didn't really feel a huge amount of compassion. He made a lot of sacrifices. He did things that he finds very questionable um, but everyone else sees him as this glorified hero figure that did these amazing things, and he knows that deep down he does not know if he is a good person or not. And the entire book is such an interesting meditation on the definition of good and the definition of sacrifice and the de definition of love. There's a lot of really um, lovely scenes of Dorigo with his lovers. There's a lot of really horrible scenes where Dorigo is trying to um, save people and uh, can't. And I won't go into that because not everyone has a strong stomach. But there's a lot of really good um, discussions of family as well. I did really appreciate that. His... Um, his brother and his mother, um, and I believe his father as well, excuse me, are very, very well-detailed characters, and you really understand how those people shaped him as a person. And it's funny because sometimes the beautiful poetry is interspersed with the, uh, the horrible surgical scenes. In this world, we walk on the roof of hell, gazing at flowers. That's by a poet named Issa. Yeah, I do, I recommend this book to people all the time, but I will say that it is, it is a difficult read. Um, I feel like the tense can be kind of, the text can be kind of dense. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of action. They never see any battle, for instance, so if some people are interested in um, war books that involve direct battle and conflict, that's not really going to be uh, present in the book at all, really. Um, it's, there's, a there's a lot of hardship that's described, but it's not described in a way to make you feel bad for them, to make you feel bad for the man in the camp, or to make you feel guilty that you have a great life and that these men face such hardships. It's really just so that you can understand what it was like for Dorigo to be there. Everything that happens, you either see through his eyes, you do see the points of view of uh, the other generals in the camp, which is such a cool comparison. 
um, to see the Japanese uh, versions of what's going on, which is obviously the exact same thing, but very, very different attitudes to what is happening, which was, I think, a really necessary addition. And so everything that you see going on is horrible, obviously, but you feel very as though you are standing next to Dorigo, looking over his shoulder, hearing what he thinks about it. And he does have a very clear view of what's going on, but he doesn't have a very... Mm, he doesn't necessarily have a huge empathetic connection to his men. He doesn't look at them and weep inside for what has been, what is being done to these men's humanity. Obviously he has quite a few points where he feels their pain and he wishes that he could help them, but there's not a lot of drawing out of the, oh, the humanity of it all, how horrible this is. It's really just, this is what happened. You need to understand that this is what happened and this is how this one person felt about it. And you do see um, a lot of the men that he is in the platoon with. Uh, you get to see about four or five characters really laid out and uh, gone into detail with. They talk about some of their histories and their lives to Dorigo, which was really lovely. They're very, very creative characters. I haven't really read anything like them personally. I won't really get into any details of what happens with Dorigo's affair, um, with what eventually happens in the POW camp. I don't really want to give away a lot of um, quote-unquote spoilers, um, but I do really love just discussing the way the book was written, what I really enjoyed about it, um, the way the characters were set up, the way the book itself was kind of spread and laid out. I think the addition of poetry was really, really lovely, um, especially because they're short poems. They kind of take you out of the horror of it for a second, remind you of how lovely minimalism can be. I think that's one of the great things about haiku, actually, is that, that you can tell such beautiful and horrific things in, so, in such a little amount of words. I say, as I am currently recording a podcast, talking... <laughs> about books uh, in as many words as possible. <laughs> a little ironic. But, um, yeah, I, I can't recommend this book enough, to be honest. I feel like it is, there's no fantasy in it, there's no sci-fi in it, there's not a whole amount of uh, exciting action. It's really just a meditation on people. And I haven't really read a lot of such honest and thought-provoking meditations on the realities of people and the way they think and the way they interact and the way they make decisions under pressure. Um, and I tell people that a lot. Most of the time when I'm at work, I don't have a lot of time to really go into why I like a book. But if someone comes up to me and goes, hey, why did you staff pick Narrow Road? I will basically say because it does people so well in such unexpected situations, in such 
brutal and in such lovely situations. I mean, there are some sex scenes in there. There's some lovemaking scenes in there. There's some <laughs> scenes in there that really make you not like Dorigo as a person because he can be a bit of a dick. And there are other scenes where he redeems himself. People redeem themselves and make mistakes all the time. He's constantly going back and forth between a likable and a non-likable character. And I feel like, oh, see, now I'm rambling again. But, I mean, to summarize it in a few words, it discusses morality without being preachy. So, and I don't mean preachy necessarily in a religious way. I mean preachy as in telling you what to do and what to think. Because you always, I've read, the, I've reread this book a couple times, and I always finish it going, wow, I have no idea what to think about this or about this character. I still have no idea if I like Dorigo Evans. But he is such a human and understandable and relatable character. And I've read some relatable characters. I've read some characters that make me think of who I was as a person. And I've read some characters that make me think of who I want to be as a person. But this is the only character that I've read that makes me want to understand myself. And makes me want to understand, deeply understand the people around me and what they experience and to talk to them about their experiences and to see things through their eyes and to have long, deep, wordy, meaningful discussions with them about the realities that we all face. Yeah. And I have the beautiful hardcover edition with a gorgeous, gorgeous cover and these beautiful different lengthed pages and this really really nice typeface actually as well ah you gotta love beautiful books mm. we only have the paperback edition in my store which is kind of unfortunate i think the hardcover editions are when you really value a book just so nice to have on your shelf to go back and reread Wow, so I have been talking for this book for about 20 minutes, so I will wrap up by saying thank you again for listening. I do really appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen to what I have to say about books. Uh, a little bit about me, if you didn't listen to the first episode, um, I'm currently working on my bachelor's degree in English literature. I'm taking a well-deserved and well-needed break to uh, get my money back because university is so unfortunately expensive. So in the meantime, while I'm breaking from university, I have found myself really missing being analytical about the books that I read because I read a lot of flippin' books. And while it's nice to read as many teen books as possible because they're so fun, every once in a while it is really nice to go back and talk about a book that really made me think, that really made me introspective and detailed in my thinking about myself and other people. And there's not a lot of books that you can say, I think this will make you a better person, because sometimes that can seem a little insulting. But sometimes there are books that you want to hand out to everybody and say, if you read this, you will think a little deeper about the world. You will think a little more intelligently about the world, you will be a more empathetic human being, you'll be able to take a step back and really think, I don't know what this person in front of me is experiencing, so I shouldn't be addicted to them. <laughs> I should really take the time to listen to their story, because everyone's story is important, and everyone's story is different, 
And it just really reminds me, this book really reminds me why I read books and why I love talking about books to people. Because everyone has a story to tell and everyone should be able to tell that story without other people judging them or telling them that they are not worth hearing. So yeah, thanks for listening um, to my review of The Narrow Road to the Deep North by Richard Flanagan. I can't actually say I've read any of his other books, but apparently uh, Gold's Book of Fish um, is another one of the most popular ones that he's done, and it's definitely on my list of things to read. So now that I've done a sci-fi and a general fiction novel, I think next week we will be moving on to a fantasy novel. Um, and I am really, really excited because I am currently deciding between two books to discuss. But we'll see what happens. If you have any questions or you have any suggestions of books for me to discuss or you just want to tell me your opinion, um, you can tweet me. I actually made a Twitter. It's uh, Nose in a Book Pod. And uh, I would love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. Bye.